drop. You are listening to the Story Forward podcast, brought to you by the people who did Story Fort Presents Voices of Tree Fort Music Fest, Season 1, Episode 1. Episode 1, Summer Stories. Yeah. And so here's a little rundown about the podcast. Each week, for our first season, we're bringing you summer stories, as mentioned by Larry Rosen. Um, That's the me. stories that we tell during and about summer. Summer stories will be 12 episodes released weekly, looking at the books we read, the movies we see, the music we listen to, the stories we tell. And we'll have all sorts of people on this season, uh, a lot of authors, booksellers, uh, some movie critics, sports writers, even a Jungle Cruise captain. Uh, that's quite a coup for us. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, the things you think about when you think about summer and when you think about stories. We'll include beach reads, and uh, that's a little clue as to what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Uh, blockbuster movies, summer camp experiences, uh, and even some July 4th outings that, uh, I don't know, did they go horribly they, wrong? Or memorable. Memorable. So we're going to get go. that coming up here soon. But yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of... Tom Foolery will Some say. Some Tomfoolery. Yes. And, so, and we're, we're, we are your hosts. That is Christian Wynn, uh, the founder of Story Fort Literary and Storytelling Festival. Uh, and I am Larry During Rosen. During Tree Fort Music Fest During well. Tree Fort. So, and plus all year round with things like this. I am Larry Rosen, your favorite <laughs> San Francisco yeah. exam- examiner, a columnist, and a, a podcaster of quite a stellar reputation. Yes. So for our first episode, we're going to start, at, I think, in... in I think where you should start in the most obvious place, and that is summer books. And we went into this not really sure what we meant by a summer book, and we've had a lot of time to talk about it. So, Christian, mm-hmm. when you hear summer book, uh, what do you think of? Where does the mind well, go? Well, we talked about this, and it's, it's a difficult thing, I think, for the type of reading that I do primarily, which is like literary short stories, a little bit... I Fancy myself, uh, I guess, a literary <coughs> fellow. So not so much of a page turner reader, but I mean, oh. there's. I have a particular experience that when I was in, I guess, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and I was a sporty kid, and I didn't really, I don't know, I wasn't a bookworm, but I did read. Um, and then I got injured playing soccer, mm-hmm. broke my ankle, and I was basically had to be kind of sitting around, and I got a hold of The Hobbit. And for me, I was like my first experience. It was really beautiful weather in Seattle, um, sitting out on my parents' deck mm-hmm. and just like poured through The Hobbit, which was kind of a life changer in a lot of <laughs> ways for me. But I mean, that was like for me a quintessential summer read. I also read, I don't know, Donna Tartt's The Secret History. Have you read that before? I have not. It's a real page chart. Or kind of a, it was something I read during the summer. But for me, I don't usually go look for a particular type something of you book. Buy, something I don't you know. buy at the Hudson Books at the airport. And, you Not know, really. I, I actually, when we started this, I remember I said, um, dating myself here, I think of a summer book as the book equivalent of that uh, U2 Joshua Tree album that came out in right. 1987. And I heard it and I thought, this is something I'm going to hear on someone else's radio at the beach all summer. Um, but I think, I think I've sort of, we spent so much time in the last couple months talking about summer stories and summer books and, and what that means I think almost anything can be a summer book. The thing that came to mind for me is actually fairly recent. Um, seven, eight years ago, I took a trip to Europe with my wife and son, and we were going. And on the way up, 
we were living in San Francisco at the time and we drove up and flew out of Seattle, long story, but we stopped in Ashland. I went to the bookstore and I was trying to find something that would work and for that sort of trip. You know, I was really mm. going to be immersed in this other culture and the only time I was going to get to hear English was in this book. So I found a book. True. And you guys, it's, it's a... Um, the author's from Spokane, Washington. It's Jess the Walter. Jess Walter. I know Jess. Well, I've met Jess. And I read Beautiful Ruins because it was set- In Italy, right? In Cinque Terre, and we were going to go to Cinque Terre. I've been there. And I loved, at one point, we were staying at this place uh, a little further down on the Amalfi Coast mm -hmm. with some friends. And I read that book that, that week while we were there. And it was great. It, it really, it made me feel more like I was there, more present somehow. Like you could lose yourself in the book, but because it was happening where we were- it felt like a nice add-on to bet. the trip. Because I mean, I'm sure for most readers, they didn't have the opportunity to get to go to uh, the no, Chikatera. So you're just... reading it as like an escape, but you were actually living. Yeah. And so what's was... the plot of that book? I had to admit, you Jess, know... I have not read it, but I've heard a lot about it. I read it so long ago. I know it involves, it's a, a thinly veiled version of Elizabeth Taylor and Richard oh, Burton. that's right. Set yes. in the 60s. Um, and it was, it's a literary novel, but it's also something that, I didn't have to sit there and think, well, what is this telling me about life? Right. So that's so part of nice. what the summer read is. a little bit is. of an escape. Uh, but I agree with you on the page turner part because it's something, mm -hmm. you know, I guess the idea is you've got some extra time and you're maybe you're lying on a beach or maybe you're in the backyard, but you just got time to really lose yourself in a book. And often those are page turners. Would you count, um, I'm kind of a sucker for kind of the... Uh, the uh, police procedural, procedural oh. the, the Don Winslow... Uh, DEA novels. Would you consider that a summer read? Well, having never read those books, I don't. <laughs> that's not really my genre <clears throat> per se. Not that I'm against. Yeah, you're on vacation, or you're up at the cabin, or you're actually at the beach, and yeah, it's something that you can get immersed in. I know. We're just gonna say I, I still kind of read the same stuff. Same stuff say. doesn't change for you. And I don't really no. think. I don't know that it changes for me. Um, for, so, but for our first episode. We are bringing an author on who, I, I'll tell you for a fact, you're not going to find her books next to the checkout stand. Not that kind of author. Mm -hmm. But her books often are framed around a summer. Um, she has written uh, five or five novels, six novels. Five novels. Five novels. Sorry. At least I apologize, Jessica. Yes. The Summer of Naked Swim Parties, Drinking Closer to Home, Wonder Bread Summer, The Trouble with Lexi, and her latest book, which came out in May, Mary Jane, which I just read. And yeah, I got mm -hmm. through it real fast because it's really compelling. Her name is Jessica Anya Blau. And we talked to her about sort of, uh, we talked to her about a lot, but but also mm -hmm. at, at the core, the idea of, of whether or not you want to wear that crown. Right. And she does lean into, obviously, with the titles like, you know, mm -hmm. The Wonder Bread Summer and The Summer, summer of, of Naked, Naked Swim Parties. And also Mary Jane in her newest book is um, set over the course of a summer. Right. It's it's about a, a 14, 15-year-old girl who gets a job as a nanny for the course of one summer, which is really, uh, Jessica, that is selling the book so short because a lot more happens than that. We're going to hear more about the book in a sec here. We'll hear more about the book. We'll hear more about um, defining yourself as an author. We'll hear about naked readings, which 
was yeah, very it's a compelling. Naked Book Club. But the she, Naked Book Club. If you look up her social media stuff, there's a picture um, of her reading <laughs> oh, to a right. bunch of naked people. We get into some of that. We do because talk about compelling. There's a yeah, lot. She to see was it. not naked. So there's a lot so going on in that picture. That, but yeah, we're going to get into the interview now. But one other thing I wanted to add that we should have mentioned earlier is the structure of this podcast, uh, this episode, and most episodes after it. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get us what you just got. Mm-hmm. You're going to get an interview, which is coming up next, and Act Three. Three of the podcasts will be a correspondent contribution, which is actually someone, in this case, co-host Christian Wynn, yes. uh, telling an, a story. A standalone story, yeah, That matches the theme of the episode. Right. Going back in the time machine to 1990, 91. Uh, can, I, can I go with you? Can I just go back to 1990? Well, sure. Okay. Right. Before we do that, though, uh, sit back and listen to our interview with Jessica Anya Blau, and we'll be back uh, to close this up for you when all is done. Jessica Anya Blau, welcome to Story Forward Podcast, uh, and and congratulations! You're our first guest. This is our initial episode. One of the big reasons that you're here, you know, we discussed this off mic beforehand, but uh, this this season is entitled Summer Stories, and the theme is stories that we tell during the summer. And it seems that most of your books do take place during the course of a summer. And I want to get into that. But first, before we do anything, you have a book coming out. Is it May 11th? May 11th, yes. Actually, a book that came out May 11th, because this is going to air in June. But I want to give you a chance to tell listeners about Mary Jane, um, just so they'll know what to expect. Okay, thank you. So... First of all, I always feel strange talking about my books, but obviously I have to. You have to, yes. (laughs) Yes. So Mary Jane, uh, it takes place in Baltimore in 1975. And uh, it's about a young girl, a 14-year-old who becomes a summer nanny for a psychiatrist down the street, a doctor. And when she gets there, she realizes that he's housing a massive rock star and his movie star wife as the rock star sobers up so and she comes from a very conservative family that live up the street and she walks down the street and sort of enters this house where there's a lot of sex drugs and rock and roll in 1975. And is the it's interesting I wonder if you would consider because a lot of your books are set in the 70s or 80s would you consider yourself a writer of historical fiction? You know so I was on I saw that I was on some historical fiction list somewhere, you know, historical huh. fiction we're, we're waiting for or something you're looking forward to for the summer. And I thought, because I think of people who write, I like reading historical fiction, but I think of people who write historical fiction just like way smarter than I am, oh. you know, or have ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I read, um, you know, a great book about the Dreyfus Affair. So, you know, I mean, you read this historical fiction or, or the coffee trader, if you ever read that one, it was about essentially the start of the stock market when the, during the Inquisition, when the Jews went up to Amsterdam. And it's just like this great, like, I just think these, these are the smartest people, the smartest writers, if they can make it totally compelling. So I don't think of myself as that at all, but the 70s, uh, I love the music from the 70s, and there's a lot of music in this book. And I needed to have a certain amount of innocence when she walks into this house. You can't, you know, you can't today, you you wouldn't meet a 14-year-old who hadn't seen porn on the internet or mm. who hadn't mm. walked by somebody smoking pot on the street or who, you know, you, you just don't have that kind of innocence today. So I really needed it to be pre-phone, pre-internet, pre-legalization of marijuana. Mm. But also, and, and I think actually this is 
where I would draw the line at something being historical fiction. Uh, what I would consider historical fiction is someone researching an era they didn't live through. And right. You live through these eras, and I were so I, I'm guessing these characters are older than you, but you were around in these eras. Yeah, I was um, born. Yeah. And it's interesting that you you say they come from a conservative house. I was thinking of um, your first book, The Summer of Naked Swim Parties, not a conservative house, but hmm. kind of a conservative girl. And it seems like you write about good girls a lot. Yeah, I mean, they're all, I mean, it's interesting because this book, internally, she's me, but she's coming from this very conservative Christian house and she goes to church and, you know, and I, and she's, just the way she thinks and the way she feels and she loves Broadway musicals and she subscribes to the Broadway musical soundtrack of the month club and she sings in the church choir I mean and she she wants to be good and do good and, and she just and the house down the street it's 1975 and they're in this neighborhood in Baltimore that I know called Roland Park and it's a neighborhood that used to not allow people of color or Jews and then in the 70s it, that started changing and so this family that i put is a jewish family the family where she works and they would have been like the first jews in the neighborhood and they're certainly the first jewish people that she meets so it, the whole thing if you on either side is sort of me we i grew up in southern california in a very sort of catholic christian neighborhood and we were the only jews in the neighborhood where i grew up and our house was really messy and, you know, and the weeds were growing and we didn't have a gardener and everybody else had gardeners and there was, you know, floor to ceiling, wall to wall bookshelves that were crammed with books and nobody else seemed to have that. And we had a record player in the living room and, you know, we would come home from school, my friends and I, we'd put on records and we would dance and turn it up and you never heard turn down the music. I mean, my brother used to bounce a ball in the house and my mother would scream, quit bouncing that goddamn ball in the house. But if you turned up music, nobody ever said anything. So we had this house very unlike any other house in the neighborhood. And my friends, you know, I envied my friends and they're like clean, tidy houses that were quiet and had these really clean refrigerators with lunch meats and all this great food. And yeah. our house was a mess. <laughs> Chris, if you'll excuse me, Jessica and I are okay. talk now. <laughs> okay, you guys can talk now. I am curious though about just, I guess, in terms of music and culture um, and talking about this being a type of historical fiction or sort of, like what sort of research did you get into for this novel? And also like, I guess I'm curious, though I have not read the entirety of this novel yet. Well, maybe by the time this airs, I, I will, I'd say I will have, but... Uh, who who's the rock star based on? Anyone? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, at the time when I was writing the book, I read Keith Richards' uh, autobiography, memoir. And it was really good and it was really interesting. It gave me great insight into being a heroin addict and to wanting to play guitar so badly and not wanting fame, like not after fame, just wanting to make enough money to buy guitar strings and a pick and just really wanting to just play. And it was such a great insight, but it's not Keith Richards at all. But I really took, you know, tried to sort of ingest all of that. And, you know, there's different, I was just, it was more like the era, stars of the era. And, and you think of how, you know, and for Sheba, his, the rock star's wife, you know, there were all these stars at that time who led these lives that the public didn't, I mean, if you think of somebody like Liberace, you know, and all these women wanted their daughters to marry Liberace. Well, mm. 
clearly he was gay, you know, and it was <laughs> at the time he couldn't couldn't come out or, you know. So I was so with Sheba, who's this really nice, loving, great, kind rock star. I had her, you know, her do a family TV show, sort of like Johnny. I remember Johnny and Marie had a TV show and Oh, yeah. Captain Atiel have a TV show. I don't really yeah. quite remember, but yeah. they have one. Yeah, and Captain Atiel and uh, did it. Well, Sonny and Cher had their show. You know, what I mean, so there were these TV shows where people were incredibly wholesome and good, and you didn't have the same kind of media prying at the time, so you didn't know everything that was going on in behind the scenes. But I wanted to sort of have this woman who had a different kind of life on screen than off. So they weren't based on anyone. It was more they kind of came out of the era, and I created them. Yeah, Mr. Brady, for example, too. Right? From the Brady Bunch, Mike Brady. He was, right. he was hiding his his sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it seems like it would actually be more fun to make up a rock star than to oh. do as a model. Yeah, I mean it's it's so much fun. It's so much fun going. I mean, because when you're writing, I mean, it's I'm sure you guys readers and writers I'm sure you know you're mm -hmm. you become that and you go into that headspace it's so much I mean I first I love music and I love rock stars and, and movie stars are fun I mean so no it was a really fun headspace all, all of it now conversely you know, it was, uh your protagonist you said is based a little bit on yourself is that the first time you've done that or is that something you do consistently they're all a version of myself I mean in summer of naked swim parties it's pretty much me uh when i was uh you know it, you guys are going to be talking about the fourth of july and beaches and camp out and as you were saying that i thought well that's such a huge you know it was at the fourth of july camping at a beach when i lost my virginity you know i mean it was like mm -hmm. it's like a huge summer it's like and it's got all those elements like summers summers are huge and things happen in summer and time is compressed it's you know it's framed by the end of school and the beginning of school and, and you cram everything in there and you know and, and you experienced different things in summer so it, it is an interesting time but yeah so that book was a lot me and the next one was sort of drinking closer to home was kind of veiled autobiography hmm. and the wonder bread summer i was thinking about when i was in berkeley and i accidentally got a job for a cocaine dealer i was in a <laughs> bar and i needed a job and i met this guy and he offered me a job at his clothing store and I went to work at the clothing store and nobody ever came in and bought anything. And I would just <laughs> put on music and dance in front of the mirrors and try on clothes and like no customers ever came in. And it turned out he was this massive cocaine dealer. And so that was, you know, so I, I was thinking about all these different things at Berkeley, which you guys have both been there and know what a strange mm -hmm. and interesting and wonderful and bizarre place it is. And I was thinking about all the different people I had encountered, including this uh, really nice quadriplegic man whose wife used to roll him next to me in this cafe where I studied and he would sit with me and I would drink coffee and study and I would feed him his cappuccino and he had like a Ouija board on his wheelchair and like a head pointer and he could point to like yes no and spell out words and that's how he communicated and he he was really nice and I and I liked him and so this was like I was always there because I lived right around the corner from this cafe and he would roll in. And so I kind of considered him a friend, but we didn't talk too much because I would study and and I didn't have enough time. I tried to do yes, no questions when we spoke because I just like, I, I got to get going here. So at some point, his wife asked me, she said, uh, you know, Frank wants to know, he's going to talk like, she reminded me of Stevie Nicks. She says, Frank, 
Frank wants to know if you want to be in one of his movies. And I said, what, what movies? And she said, oh, Frank's a director. Didn't, didn't you know that? And I said, no, I didn't know Frank's a director. She said, yeah, he directs movies and he would love for you to be in one. And I said, oh, well, what would I do? And she said, well, it's an erotic film and you would have sex with Frank and maybe with me. And I just remember thinking, you're kidding me. Like I've known you for two years and I didn't know this. And then of course I didn't want to be rude. And so I said, oh, let's, let me think about it. That's, that sounds so interesting. You know, and of course I wasn't going to do it. But so I was thinking about him and they threw a version of him in Wonder Bread Summer and the cocaine dealer. And I mean, I was just thinking of all these different, so that novel just, I mean, it seems like it's unbelievable. Really all those strange elements did happen. But, you know, as you do in fiction, if you compress it in time, you've created a story. Like, you know, we all have these lives and all these interesting things happen over our lives. Over You guys have been friends for 20 or 30 years now, you know, and so there's all these interesting things that happen. And if you tell most of it, it's not interesting. But if you take out the good parts, then then you have a story. And so so that's why novel writing is just taking the good parts, compressing time, putting them all together. And there you go. Yeah, you know, it always strikes me uh, in books, but more so even in movies and TV shows that I have to remind myself that there's long stretches of time in the story where they were just doing crossword puzzles or just, you know, watching TV. Absolutely. Um, you gave us a great segue uh, speaking about compressing narratives and the length of a summer. Now, you do seem to return to that a lot. Heck, it's in the title of two of your books, The Summer of Wonder Bread and The Summer of Naked Swim Parties. What is it, it, it? Did you just lay out what it is about that season that attracts you to writing about it? Well, I always love summer. I've loved it my whole life. You know, it really is my favorite season, and I just feel liberated by it. And I love the sun and the beach, and you know, it's just such a there's just this kind of bursting out. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Mary Jane takes place in the summer too. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think it really, it, you know, for me as a writer, it's a it's a good chunk of time where something can happen, but it does have a framework. Especially if you're writing about uh, teenagers or anyone whose life is bounded by school years. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Right. I'm curious too, like what I guess on that note as well, like how you would define like a summer a summer read or a summer book. Um, and if you, I mean, your books are set in the summer, but I don't know that they're, I mean, they're obviously quite literary. And I just am curious, yeah, Jessica, will you, how you would define like a summer read for, for yourself? I don't, you know, I mean, I read, I read pretty much anything. I, I don't read fantasy, but I read fiction, nonfiction, memoirs, historical fiction. You know, I mean, I read anything and I love books. I, you know, the, there's, there are these, things that publishers and publicists and advertising, you know, they, these ideas that they lay over what's happening, but I'm not thinking in those terms at all when I'm creating something. So it's not happening for me. And then the books I read, I just read whatever is great and I'm reading, you know? That's so, what I was gonna say, yeah. So very, is there really such a thing as a summer read? I mean, you kind of know like it's a summer blockbuster film. You kind of know what to expect and there is, a big departure in genre, but yeah, right, I just right. sort of read whatever I want to read in the summertime. I have certain books that have stuck with me um, right? that I've read during the summer just by chance. Um, do you have particular memories of, you know, I'm sure you do, of, of reads that you've taken on at, you know, growing up or 
you know, last summer or whatever, but a book that you really, that really stuck with you that you took in and it was part of your summer experience. Yeah, I mean, I do remember like where I was when I was reading certain books. Um, of course, I can't think of that. I mean, like I remember being in Venice, Italy and reading one of Dave Egger's books, you know, and, and sitting in Venice and thinking, I, I gotta, I should go do something, but just wanting to read that book in, in a summer. Because <laughs> what was that really good movie with like Kevin Bacon and there's somebody who's killed and it's Catholics in, you know, and it was a great book. It was oh, like- The maybe, Mystic River? Mystic no. River. Oh, Mystic River. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I remember um, just, it was just last summer, you know, picking up Mystic River and just, you know, and I was in Amsterdam and like, oh my God, this is an amazing book. I mean, it's been out for a long time. So I, there are certain books that I read in summer and because I might travel more in summer, I can remember where I was reading that book. You know, so I remember reading Mystic River. If I can continue this digression before getting back to the matter at hand. Uh, <laughs> I too, I have like five Dennis Lehane books on my bookshelf and I read them because I don't know how to write plot. And they teach me how to write plot. And you you started out as a short story writer, right? Yeah, I mean, not deliberately. I was just writing. I mean, I started out as somebody who was secretly writing in her house in Canada, and just writing and writing, and writing, and not telling anybody. And you know, part, and that's part of that. The Canada part. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto, just secretly writing, and. Um, you know, and I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends and I was really lonely. I was married and, and uh, you know, and my husband at the time was at work and I was just all alone, just, you know, it was sort of like, am I going to go crazy or am I going to do something? So I would like obsessively clean the house and write. And uh, so I just, so what I started writing were short stories. And, and so that's how that started. And then, um, you know, and then I went to graduate school and the way I came out with the novel is, I was at uh, Breadloaf and I had had a short story published and I met this sort of famous editor who had read my short story. And she said, oh, she was this older woman. She said, I read, I read your story. And, I, and of course I'm completely shocked and flattered that I'm actually meeting somebody who, you know, I mean, like that was so surprising. And then she said, you let me know when you have a novel. And I said, oh, I do have a novel, but I didn't. But I was just so flattered. I said, I do have a novel. And she said, you do? And, and, and I said, yes. And she said, well, send it to me when you're done. I said, oh, I, I will. And then she said, well, what's the name of your novel? And I said, uh, The Summer of Naked Swim Parties. And I hadn't written it yet. And then, and she said, send it to me when you're done. I thought, well, I better go write this book. And How did you come up with that title? Did it just pop in your head? I had been working with the, the writer Lynn Freed in, in Breadloaf, and she had said, you know, she said, go write one good sentence. Yeah, well, she has a South African accent. She said, rat, go rat one good sentence, rat one good sentence. And I thought, my God, I've never been given a harder assignment than to write one good sentence. Like, I mean, that's just pressure. How do you make one sentence great, you know? So I was just sitting there, you know, agonizing and, you know, feeling anxious. And, uh, and, and I was having this memory of when I was a kid and my parents and all their friends were swimming naked and and that I would always be in a bathing suit. And I was remembering sitting on steps of a pool, watching them naked. And then I was remembering watching one of their friends, a man on a diving board, jumping up and down and all of his body parts <laughs> kind of flying up and down. And I was just remembering this thinking, I hadn't quite understood male anatomy until this moment. <laughs> like I didn't realize things were so close together. I thought there was like six inches between them. You know? <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, they're attached. And I was just, so, you know, I was just so shocked at this. And, you know, and just watching the scene, I, and I wrote one sentence about that thing. And I remember when I gave it to Lynn, she just laughed and she seemed to love that one sentence. And, and that was moments before I ran into this editor who asked for the name of a book. So I had just had this one sentence and then I came up with the title and then I wrote the book. We're a naked swim party. So once you start writing things that take place over the course of a summer, um, is it only natural that they'll get released in the summer and they'll get positioned as things to be read in the summer? And that's all the publishing company, right? Yeah, it's always up to the publisher. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and all my novels have been with the same editor, Kate Mitzel, who's a complete mm -hmm. genius. And, you know, and, and she'll say something, well, you know, it's always when it's due. If you can get it to me by, it's always the summer before where you have to get it. If you can get it to me by, then we can bring it out next summer. You know, and it, it kind of makes sense if it's summer and you it takes place in summer. And is it is yeah. it lend itself well to coming of age stories too? I think so. You know, just because you you get out of your routine in summer and you're mm -hmm. chipped away or your parents are away or you you know things like that. I mean, the the trouble with Lexi takes place at a boarding school in New England, and that story takes place over the course of a school year. It starts in the fall and ends. You know, so it's mm -hmm. it's also just a framework of time, you know. You like you like the beginning and end. Yeah, I like to know how where it's gonna, yeah, how we're gonna position ourselves. I mean, drinking closer to home takes place over a week in a hospital with flashbacks that go back years. But it does take place in a hospital, you know, you know, over I guess having your books come out this time of year. Um leaves you probably some nice memories of going on book tours yeah, during the normal times. Like you're, you're, you know, the summer of book tours, I, yeah. I'd imagine, but uh, that's changed a bit now, but. Uh, yeah. so. No, I loved going on book tours. It was so much fun. It's like, well, because I've never like worked in a business where somebody puts you up in a hotel and pays for your breakfast. You know, like I never have that sort of business life of you know where you just none of that it's like I'm just a woman who writes and had kids and empties the dishwasher and packs a lunch you know and then suddenly I'm like yeah I'll order room service breakfast and it's great you know <laughs> you're talking about that stuff that people in the working world take for granted you mean <laughs> traveling and yeah, yeah. getting everything like boarding the plane yeah. first because you have so many miles and yeah staying in a nice hotel yeah I know yeah. yeah, like I don't know, you know, those, that's so foreign to me. I'm just a woman, you know, in a cafe drinking coffee and trying to do something. And then suddenly I get to go somewhere. So, but now I think the book tour might, it might be over forever. I mean, they're doing Zoom. I'm doing three Zoom book launches. And I think it might be, because I think it's working out okay this way. And well, how did you like how did you like readings being in front of people and is, is that gone now <laughs> did, did you do research on me to find out no uh, i didn't no <laughs> we did some research is there some incident we should know about <laughs> no but i have i have like terrible terrible stage fright oh I, it's terrifying to me but i do it i'm you know i have like horrible anxiety so i had you know I had to go to the doctor and get a prescription for clonopin and I have to like take a half a Klonopin, like 30 minutes, time it out 30 minutes beforehand. Or I, just, I have like, uh, you know, it's ridiculous. It's stupid because the other thing is I think 
you know, here's like a planet with billions of people. I'm in one bookstore with however many people, like nobody cares about me. Nobody's going to remember me. Like we're all going to move forward and die. Like who cares what happens in this bookstore today when I read, but for some reason, my brain heart won't accept that fact and just starts panicking. In light of that book tour slash being nervous, we did run across a picture of you reading to naked people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then strangely, we could see the men in the front row. It was all from behind in the photo, yeah. but they're, they're, they're leaning kind of pretty close to you. And we were like, that, that seems a little bit like, oh my gosh, Clonopin needed. But how was that experience? And then we'll shift over to Larry. Yeah, no, it was fine. I mean, this guy, he kept asking me to read at his naked book club and I just kept turning him down and turning him down you know you know and then finally I was doing some reading somewhere in this very you know this man in a suit who looked you know came up and said hi I'm so oh, nice to meet you know I signed his book and then he said I'm the person who's been contacting you about the naked book club will you please come and he was really nice and, and I thought I thought okay okay I'll come so then Every person I talked to on the phone, like my good girlfriends, would be like, oh, I'm going to this naked book club. And they're like, are you kidding? I'm coming with you. So I ended <laughs> up with like three close girlfriends and one guy friend, you know, coming with me. And the, the naked book club was in a secret location because they somehow nobody could know. So they gave me the address and it was like an hour away from Baltimore and we all drove out there. And then we came in and it was like in some gym kind of place you know, they had different rooms and you walk, we walked in and there's all these men working out naked on gym equipment. And I was like, wow. And then he said, book club is going to start right after yoga. And we walked over and there was a room and they happened to be in down with the dog. And there's everybody in down, like with their behind space and me doing naked yoga. And I thought, this is amazing and then they kept offering for us if we wanted to take our clothes off and everybody no no thing we all declined and um my friend one of my friend larry said to me he said well at least you don't have to worry about a cell phone going off during your reading <laughs> yeah at least i don't but sure enough during the book you know when i was doing the book talk with the book thing somebody's cell phone did go off and it was it was the, a man sitting right in front of one of my friends and his cell phone was on the floor and he stood up and bent over like kind of right in her face and caught his cell phone. I mean, the whole thing was like, it was kind of great and hilarious. You know, we went to a diner afterwards and we, we all, well, the, the other thing was, what, what, what rating is this? Can, what words I can say, I we're, we're going to have to put a, a content warning on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can let her, let her, let her rip. Go for can it. I, I, can, I, I can let it rip. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then you can just cut it if it's inappropriate. We'll be good. Our hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so because, you know, I was the person reading and I, I, so I talked to a lot of people there and I just was, you know, obviously as I've told you about my childhood, I'm used to naked people. I can deal with naked people. Um, but I, you know, I was nervous because it was a reading and whatever, but I was maintaining eye contact with everybody. And I wasn't, I didn't look at anybody's, body pretty much it just was looking in their faces and dealing with them uh but when we went to this diner afterwards my friends were talking about it and for some reason there was this incredible range of penises that they all wanted to discuss and it was like it was kind of like i had missed the best penis parade in the world like it was just 
so <laughs> many, you know, and one guy had dyed bright green, orange pubic hair. And I mean, it was just like all these different, I won't go into the details, but they all had like, did you see the penis that, you know, like that's how all these sentences start. And I, I didn't see any of them, but it was, they, everybody had a wonderful time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Larry's been making faces. Here I, guess it goes to, I, mean, I guess it goes to show if you are part of a naked group and you're going to be naked all the time, you want to do something a little special so people will know that you're ready. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, I haven't seen that many people. Well, I guess I have. You see people. <laughs> the world is full of them. But apparently this particular group, you know, obviously they're variegated in, in so many ways. This particular group just kind of went out of the range in, in both sides. You know. <laughs> okay. So, I just, so that'll, that, I, we should be winding up, but now I'm kind of wound up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, before we let you get out of here, um, there was one thing I wanted to mention. It's, you know, we've, I've done interviews with YA authors before, and we've talked for a very long time about how there's no such thing as YA, mm -hmm. that it's just a marketing term. Uh, would you say then, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is, is, is there such a thing as a summer read? Or is it, can it be anything? Well, I think it can be anything. I do think there is a category of books that have pictures of people in bikinis and oceans on the front mm -hmm. yeah. that uh that might be summer reads it's like reading about people at the beach i don't know but other than that <laughs> any great book that you can read at any time i mean i do remember living in toronto it in the middle of the summer going to a movie and the movie had a scene where there was snow and ice and I was having PTSD. I thought, no, I can't do that cold winter again. And I remember thinking, wanting to leave the theater, thinking I cannot look at snow. And it was after my first winter there and I was so shocked by it having come from California. And I remember thinking, I can't, I can't watch this movie because I can't look at this cold. So, you know, I don't know, maybe you don't want to read smell a sense of snow in, in the middle of the summer, but mm. I, reading, I will read anything great at any time, so. Well, you actually bring up an interesting, and, and maybe this is better for another episode, but, you know, the idea that summer means more when you have winter. Yeah, really, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that first summer in Toronto, it was like, ah. yeah, I wanted to weep. I just <laughs> thinking like, no, and then just skin, seeing skin again. It's like, oh, people have skin. That's actually one of the reasons I left California, because I wanted to appreciate summer. This Oh, really? Yep. That's yeah, awesome. you were down in Orange where it's kind of con you know, consistently summer all year right. round. <laughs> consistently 65, yeah. But, um, yeah, but we should probably, you know, get some thoughts about where to find your stuff, what to look for. Mary Jane is out and um, what you want people to... to it's been out for a, a month now, yeah. So I don't know, final thoughts on just your stuff. Mary Jane is out. There is this playlist on Spotify. I mean, I, I obsessively listened to like songs from 1975 while I was writing. So there was a whole year where all I listened to, I listened to 75 or prior because I didn't want to listen to anything that came out after the time of the book. And there was just so much great music. And so I did put a playlist on Spotify that just had some of my favorite songs I listened to while I was writing the book. So if you want to yeah. And how about uh, how about website uh, and social media that you want people to see? 
Sure. Yeah. Website www.jessicaanyablau.com. And I Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is the one I like most because I like looking at people. And I just, oh, hard, hard. somebody posted something sort of tragic, but with a really pretty picture. And I didn't read it. And I just looked at that beautiful. I was like, oh, that's so pretty and hit heart. And then a friend told me that I should have read it. And I thought, oh, God, I was horrified. So now, <laughs> trying to slow down on Twitter and or Instagram and, and read. But yeah, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jessica Anya Blau. Excellent. Well, and wow. we super enjoyed having you on this inaugural Story Forward episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we hope to see you in Boise for Story Forward and Tree Fort and uh, out in the world somewhere sometime. But uh, that would be great. Yeah, I know. Thanks for your time and everyone go out and read Mary Jane. Thank you so much. So this is a story I have for you tangentially about Summer Reads, more about a particular time in my life as a young writer, reader, man about town. So here it goes. So it takes place in the very early 90s when I was living in Seattle and fancying myself to be that writer, that thinker, that kind of uh, semi-sophisticated young man. This is when I was in my early 20s. And yeah, one of the things I had a propensity of doing was, was stealing things, a random thing. I stole an American Express machine from a bar in, in uh, Hermosa Beach, California. I stole a jar of pickled pig's feet from a bar in Seattle. Um, we actually stole an entire pitcher of beer that someone had bought for us at the closing time from that same bar and took it down to the waterfront to imbibe and were you know, promptly caught by a, a police officer and asked to dump the beer, but he didn't ask us where we even got the beer. But we enjoyed that kind of thing. We'd steal sandwiches from Hoagie's Corner. We'd go dine and dash at times from Denny's. And not saying this is good. In fact, this story is a bit of an apology to a young woman named Keisha, who I'll tell you about in a second. But yeah, I can talk about other things I stole. I stole a Swatch watch. I stole a midget, a midget coat, which is a division of hockey, the midget leagues, which I, I didn't know that until I acquired this shirt excuse me, this jacket from uh, another young woman who was named Linda. And I kept it. And so Keisha was a girl I was dating kind of on and off in Seattle. And it was, you know, not super serious, but it was fun. And she was cool. She kind of looked like Isabella Rosalini. And uh, I thought that was pretty great as well. So we spent time together um, over the course of spring and into summer. So of 1991, I believe it was. But she was a reader, also a writer, a thinker, and someone who had a really cool edition of a Charles Bukowski book. I think uh, you all should know who Charles Bukowski is, a poet, fiction writer, famous drunk, um, and kind of a womanizer back in the day. He's quite a character. And there was something about his writing that I think that really appeals to a lot of young men, including myself. And it's sort of uh, hard drinking, hard living, hard loving, but uh, poetic at the same time. So 
He was a bit of a uh, rapscallion, I suppose, and a legendary character um, in our lives. Me and my friends who are also wanting to be writers, but she had a, a City Lights edition of a Charles Bukowski book called Erections, Ejaculations, Exhibitions, and General Tales of Ordinary Madness. And the City Lights version was and still is fairly valuable. I'm looking at it right now online, and it's a... Uh, the cheapest one on there is eighty-five ninety-five. It was published in 1972 by City Lights. And it has a picture of old Charles with his rather pocked up face and kind of dark eyes, kind of deep set, kind of a shine to him. Like he's just come home from the bar. But uh, anyway, I decided I wanted to borrow the book or just to kind of grab the book and took it with me. And this was heading into summertime and I was quite enamored of his writing, and it's a rather unlikely, I guess, summer read book, but I was thinking I was pretty cool, and it was pretty worldly, and like this, this edgy Charles Bukowski character um, had come into my life, so I would go down to the beach, Golden Gardens in Seattle, and read my book with my, and share some insights with my friends, and I have had a couple of other books at the time I was reading, um, oh, some Kafka, and some Camus, and you know, some Richard Ford and just kind of fairly cerebral, I guess, male writers primarily at the time for me. But uh, anyway, this book became The Erections, Ejaculations, Exhibitions, and General Tales of Ordinary Madness became my summer read. And it was pretty cool. It was kind of changed my way of looking at the world um, and changed my, I don't know, my my views of what a good writer could do. Um even if he was a bit of a scoundrel and also a little bit crude and rude, as you can tell by the title of this book, um, kind of unabashedly himself. So Keisha, we kind of broke up. We didn't really break up. We'd sort of hang out still every once in a while. And she called and asked for a book back. And I dodged the call. And she called again and asked for a book back. We went to hang out and she asked about the book. And I didn't have the book with me. And then she called again and again. And long story short is this book remains with me to this day. I never returned the Charles Bukowski book. And I go back to it and read it. And I, I want to say, Keisha, I'm really sorry that I took your book because you were really wanting it back. And it was a valuable book. And that was a young man being foolish and uh, selfish and all that good stuff we, we like to do. But... But one of the things, yeah, along the way is in sharing that book um, with my friends and other writers and with myself down there at the beach, Golden Gardens on sunny days, we sort of dreamt up the ideas of sitting in dark bars, smoking, writing, you know, until the wee hours of the night um, and ended up doing a lot of that. I mean, it was really inspiring for me in a ton of ways. And he remains to be a writer I admire, though, after seeing several documentaries and reading much of his, his body of work, Mr. Bukowski doesn't always uh, win points with uh, with me or probably most sensible folks and the way he treats treated women. He's passed away some years ago now, how he treated his own body, how he just treated the world in general. But he also had a beauty to his writing that really has carried forward for, for me. Um, and in talking about just the notion of a summer read for this podcast. It's just been interesting to kind of think about what really impacts us and me in particular. I don't really read stories 
and novels that uh, kind of fit into maybe what you might think of as a summer read. And Bukowski seemed like the most quintessential in my mind um, for, with just the circumstances around it. I think I, find, I found myself, uh, oh, just maybe slightly inspired by some of the content of his stories in how I kind of ended up treating Keisha and uh, how I ended up, you know, rather selfishly keeping this book all these years. And then I moved. I live in Boise, Idaho now. Uh, the book is still with me, as are several other volumes of Mr. Bukowski's work um, that I'll go back to every once in a while. And I do think of Keisha every time. And I we do not stay in contact. I have no idea what has happened to Keisha. I did try to look her up the other day just for... The, the fact that I'm going to be, I was going to be telling this story about part of uh, my life back then and uh, no sign of her. I don't know. Maybe she got married. Maybe she had kids. Maybe she's no longer with us or maybe she's just living a, a fruitful, happy life um, somewhere out there. But uh, it's very unlikely she'll be listening to this podcast among all our thousands of listeners, but uh, or rather dozens. Um, but we have things like Keisha in our lives as uh, writers, as, as humans, as, as people who uh, have impacted us in ways that they probably have no real idea. I mean, I think about her quite often as I, you know, see this book on my bookshelf and return to Bukowski's work. But uh, so, I mean, that's my summer read story. It's not exactly groundbreaking in such a way that, you know, this book completely changed my life. But in a very subtle way, both Keisha and my friends at the time and Mr. Charles Bukowski really uh, shifted something inside me that summer. And I've gone on to to write poetry and fiction over the years that uh, has some DNA, I suppose, of Bukowski. So I would recommend the book. Um, I recommend a ton of his writing, but I know that to take it with a grain of salt at times or to maybe, I don't know, maybe it won't sit right with you. But uh, he's he's definitely, he was definitely a bold, unabashed writer. And I thought I was a bold, unabashed young man. But in the long run, I was probably just kind of an asshole about the whole thing. And I don't steal as often as I used to, or really, actually hardly at all. But I just had some sort of a klepto vibe, klepto part of me that just, just kind of turned on at certain times. Oftentimes, drink was involved with some of the weirder, random stuff I would uh, acquire. So... That is my summer read story, and I guess, I don't know if you can trust me with your book or your life or your emotions, but uh, once again, Keisha, I'm very sorry, and if I ever see you again, I will return this book to you. So, everybody, that's my story. All right, that was our first episode for you, uh, including Jessica Anya Blau as our guest and a fine story from our own Christian Wynn. Thank you, Larry. We're going to take you home now. Thank you so much for listening. I turn it over to Christian for some more people to thank. Yeah, we want to thank Brett Battistane, who is helping us out make this podcast, and he works for and runs... I guess he is. To, he is he Eavesdrop is. Studios, and it's part of our part. We're part of their uh, podcast network, and you can find them at ease e a s e dash drop dot com. 
We do want to thank Jared Bostrom, too, who's part of our team, and he has been doing the editing and layering in our soundtrack. Check the individual show notes of this episode to find out our website URL and our social media handles. Also, if you want to support us with some cold, hard cash, we wouldn't uh, definitely wouldn't turn we that down. We will not turn that down. You can find the link to our tip jar at ease-drop.com. Yep. That's it for this week. Yeah. Um, we're coming at you next, next week with some more summer read action. We have uh, booksellers and some pretty cool stories. So tune in. Tune in. And always remember... Move that story forward. Move that story forward. Keep advancing, marching into the narrative. That's what we'll end with every time. March into that narrative, baby.